Hello and welcome, friends and acquaintances, to Oh Shit Vampires, the Exquisite Corpse novella and podcast. I'm Clint Gage. I am Evan Gausted. And we uh, are very glad that you decided to check out our, our fun little experiment, right? Thanks for, thanks for listening and reading, maybe? You might have already read some of this. You could have. You could have read the whole thing. It's it's not it's not I don't I don't know how likely it is I I can tell you that it is possible. You know what? I'm excited to find out who our <laughs> our double action uh, friends are who yep. both read and listen to this this little project that we've uh, we've delivered and this little project that we've now spent uh, over a minute just being really uh, really fuzzy and nebulous about. So let let's let's talk about what it is. So. It, Oh shit! Vampires. Should we? Should we? Hold on. I'm so sorry, Clint. Okay. Should we say who we are at all? Like why? I suppose we can. Just just the fact that uh, uh, we, as Gage and Gausted, Clint and Evan, a couple of guys, mm-hmm. uh, have written three books. Um, it's not the end of the world. Countdown: Phoenix and Belindith, Queen of the Ash Heap. Hi, from my favorite title of anything I've ever worked on. By the way, absolutely. Uh, if you don't read it, just. Just soak in that title, um, mm-hmm. and maybe look at look at the cover. Great cover art. We've we've written some novels together, and then um, this is our first project. We were like, let's write another book, but let's do less uh, of the work. Yeah, let's. You know, wouldn't it be great? We said to ourselves while we were fishing for the next project that we were going to work on, if our friends wrote most of this for us. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's a difficult thing to get somebody to just straight up do work for you. Absolutely. So we had to make it a game, which is where the Exquisite Corpse format comes in. If you've never done an Exquisite Corpse uh, before, it's it's a really fun little exercise where you just pass something to the next person and they just add whatever they want to and then they pass it to somebody else. So every chapter in this book is written by a different author. Yeah, and one thing where we we, and I'm sure most people have either done or know about the exquisite corpse format without maybe having heard the title exquisite corpse. I did this yeah. type of project when I was a kid. Called? I don't know. I, I mean, something more pass like along writing yeah, or something. Pass, pass the story, tag out typing, it's something. Tag out typing. We, I, like I that. made that up for sure. But it okay. definitely when I was in grade school, they weren't saying, Hey children, let's do an exquisite corpse because, right. Because of that we we would have told our parents and they would have said no. Uh, Nightmares abound. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that, that game format uh, really allowed us to invite people into a fun project and, and trick them into doing the work for us. Yeah. So the nuts and bolts of how we went about it is that we came up with, with the story of Oshie Vampires, just, just sort of the broad strokes of it, the, the sort of thematic elements of it. Then we wrote the first couple of chapters and then we started handing it off to friends. All they had to go, we had, we gave them the basics of what the story was and then they got to read the previous chapter and then they wrote their chapter and then they wrote the first sentence that the next writer would get to work with on their, or to be stuck with for their chapter. Ultimately, we, we didn't lay down a ton of rules for people and it was really fun to see where people you know, what details people glommed onto and what they thought was important and how they went about, you know, trying to further a story or frankly, 
passing the buck completely. Like it was, it was a really fun, fun game. And everybody had a a different, a different take. And I I think something I'm happy with uh, how we managed to sort of walk the line of, of staying true to the exquisite corpse format where people don't quite know what's going on as they dive into their chapter but we gave them a little more information maybe than than another version of this project where they get to read the chapter before theirs and then we have a little, you know, they've got names of characters so that we did get to stick with the story because we came up with the, the concept before we decided to attach it to a, an exquisite corpse style. So um, we got to kind of kind of go crazy but stay on the general rails of our theme. Right. And speaking of that theme, yeah, oh shit, oh shit, vampires. Uh, the two two things that I remember about sort of the the genesis of this idea. One was it was a Flaming Lips song that I was listening to, and I think the lyric in one of the songs is "suddenly" uh, or "putting all the vegetables away." I think is is what it is. But for some reason, in my head, I heard "suddenly the vampires." And I was like, well, that, that's kind of a fun title. And you're like, no, you know, it's more of a fun title. Oh, shit, vampires. Yep. And I was powerless to do anything about it because you're not wrong. I mean, it's how, it's how we all should and would react to vampires. Even as sexy as they've been made over the past 20 years, we still, if you saw a vampire, <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit. Um, vampires even if you just saw one vampire you would probably pluralize it because i think being presented with the fact that a vampire exists in in your head i think it's natural to to think well he's not the only one you know there's more oh shit oh shit vampires exclamation point grammatically correct i should point out oh shit vampires exclamation point yes uh but the the more (laughs) the meaningless side of the uh of the origin of ocean vampires but the actual sort of thematic side of it is we started kicking around this idea back in in just the complete dumpster fire that was the back half of 2020 mm-hmm. um it was born out of a reaction to to all of the the protests and the violence and the uh the 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 frankly just terribleness mm-hmm. that came out of summer of 2020 which led into the election season of 2020, which led into the insurrection of early 2021. So this, just as an on an idea level, the Oceat Vampires was a reaction to that. Yeah, a reaction to those events and more acutely to the way people were reacting to those events as we watched the world um, do shitty things and be shitty about it, and then pieces of shit be like, well, but here's why those shitty people are actually the good ones. Uh, and that right. was that is the real tie in of oh shit, vampires. And then somebody pops up and says, but actually, the vampires are okay. If we can just consider both sides of these vampires for a second, and there it is. The wild part is that it felt right back in 2020 and we started working on this and we brought in a bunch of writers which kind of slows down the book writing process and yet as as the thing trudged along things just kept getting sucked into this black hole of 
ugliness and it's like well the theme the theme is very strong if it if it started uh as a response to one thing it it has morphed into a response to all of the things that have been piled upon that one thing just in the last two years but but yeah it's it's so it has been a long time in the works partially because of getting other people to 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 write stuff partially because at some point we decided to turn it into a podcast also yeah, not a short uh, <laughs> term endeavor. No, I had to do the, the work. Great, to do the that. great irony of starting an idea where you're like, let's get our friends to do more work for us. And then like, but also let's do more work than we've ever done for a, for a writing project. And then let's just make it an audio project. So it's been a, it's been a long time coming and it's, it's good to be at this stage now. To, to have it out there in the world and, and kind of not be done with it in a negative way, but just, just put, we're putting a bow on it, which is nice. Yeah, that's, that's right. We're uh, it's actually, it's not done. It's the story's not finished being told, but we've reached deliver it to the people stage, um, which yes. means Clint, we can talk about chapters one through four. Let's talk about chapters one through four. So we chapters one through four are, are written by us and read by the uh, the lovely and talented Eleanor Burkett. The goal with the first four chapters uh, was basically just to just lay some groundwork, like mm-hmm. build build a little bit of the world and um, go ahead and write the inciting incident for the story, so that yeah. other writers can can just sort of spin off. They're not working with nothing. You know. Yeah, build up the information that we could give to them. Build it up to to where we like felt like we had a feel for the story we were trying to tell, even though we knew it would change as other people got their got their dirty little fingers in there. Yeah, we we thought we might as well be able to articulate some type of instruction before <laughs> asking our friends yeah. that are doing the work for us. Right, right, exactly. And we, you know, got to do fun things like uh, you know, you took the first pass at chapter one and you and you planted it in Ukiah, California, where I currently live. So um a little, a we, little yeah, we did, gift you gave. We did kind of alternate back and forth between chapters uh, between chapters so that yeah in the same way that the other writers did. Like I right. wrote one, you wrote two, then you left a first line for me to to start writing three. That was the other great joy of writing some of these chapters is is writing a first sentence for oh. somebody else to take over. Yeah. No, it is uh it's like it's something that I think all of our writers enjoyed and were also extremely nervous about because they had to, you know, you get one line in a chapter and it's going to build off the next chapter uh for whoever and most of them didn't know who was writing the next thing. So yeah. um it's like is this going to be fun or will they hate me for what I write? Yeah. It's which is uh devious on our part. But oh, um yeah. I I think that we have made enough sense uh about this project and I, mm-hmm. I think we could probably just start listening to it. I the great thing is when you when you phrase something as as an exquisite corpse novella and podcast, like I I don't know that that's ever fully going to make sense to me just as a phrase. It ought to, but Mm-mm. at the same time, maybe it shouldn't, and I'm going to be okay with that. So we'll we'll keep checking in throughout the podcast about uh, how much the conceit of the thing is making sense as we talk through it. So every every episode, we're going to to talk through uh, you know with the writer of right. the uh, the chapter 
Um, we'll talk to them about the process of writing it, about what their, their hopes and dreams were for their particular chapter. Then we'll listen to them read their chapter mm-hmm. and then we'll chat about it a little bit more before we, before we part ways. And that, that'll be what every episode of this podcast will be. Yeah. Let's dive in. Let's go. Here's chapters one through four of Oh Shit Vampires. Chapter One I always tell myself things can get screwed up in a hurry. I think there's a lot of truth to this philosophy, but it's also a way to feel better about not paying attention. If you open your window one morning to find the world outside is on fire, it's comforting to think it started just last night while you were asleep. No, sir, no reason to think you should have seen it coming. That's what I've always told myself anyway. Clem, what the fuck? The gravelly voice booming across the bullpen is the usual dosage of my boss, Burton Carp. There was a time when getting yelled at in front of my colleagues would have gone all over me or given me the shakes for the rest of the day. Now that I know Burton Carp is a bag of wind in a cheap suit, his words mostly roll off my back. Gonna have to narrow it down, Bert, I shout back in a gravelly, booming impersonation that I'm getting rather proud of. How many dog shows this fucking town got? I guess we're going to do this in front of everybody. I stand up and gesture to the two other newspaper employees that bothered to show up today. Not today, Clem. Just answer the question. There's only one real dog show in Ukiah, Bert. I back off a little and sit back down. Same as last year, and I'm sure the 50 years before that. The AKC. It's in June. Why is there another dog show story on my desk with your name on it in October? There's the official Ukiah chapter of the American Kennel Club that does a show every June. That's the one you're thinking of. Then there's the downtown dogs fashion show that people seem to care about. That one was this morning, in October, and that's why there are 600 expertly crafted words about it on your desk right now. Jesus fucking. Dog fashion, swear to... Bert's already turned and muttering himself all the way back to his office, so it seems like we're done here. The Ukiah Daily Journal has been around for 150 years, and maybe Bert and Karp's been the editor-in-chief for all of them. But thankfully, I've only seen the last three up close. Small-town journalism was never the destination, but it's been a pretty formidable rest stop along the way. The pay covers rent and some of my groceries. It's okay money, but it's also the reason I'll mouth off to my boss whenever the fuck I want. The clock on the wall reads 4.45, which means it's actually 4.15. Even with the 30-minute cushion Burton thinks he discreetly built into the wall clocks, he'll have a hard time getting the results of the downtown dog's fashion show to the printer in time for tomorrow morning's edition. The good news is, that's not my problem. The better news is, whatever old-school, if-you're-not-early-you're-late work ethic Burton hoped to inspire by setting the clocks ahead 30 minutes, the other side of this particular boomer coin is that now I'm only leaving 15 minutes early. I slap my laptop closed, shove it into my bag, and head for the door in one practiced, fluid motion. I'm beelining toward the exit when I notice a presence keeping pace with me just a step behind. Hey, Clementine, you're a girl. Ken Brantha tries to have this conversation with me once a month or so. It's usually four days after a woman hasn't replied to his DMs. 
Thanks, Ken. No, I mean, like, obviously you're... Ken rubs his temples the same way he does once a month. Let me start over. Sure, give it a try. Just don't ask me what's wrong with you. But you know that's what I'm going to ask you. Right. Kind of seems like we don't have much else to talk about then. He hustles around in front of me, placing his doughy late thirtiesness between me and the door. Have a drink with me? It's a question technically, but only because of his inflection. I think if she sees me with another woman, that's really not how it works. But how do you know if you don't try? He's just going to ask me to do this again next week. And if I don't get out of here soon, Burton fucking Carp is going to ask me to rewrite my 600 words about Nancy Faulkner's poodle who, for the fourth year in a row, won the Downtown Dogs fashion show this year as a fully bedazzled fat Elvis. Oh, all right, let's go, I say, having fully weighed my options. But let's do it right now. Right now? Ken stammers. But it's 4.15. Really? I've got 4.45, I say, shoving past him and leaving him no choice. The Daily Journal sits in an old-as-fuck building off Thomas Plaza in the center of town. I decide to walk towards my car on the off chance Ken lost his nerve and doesn't come busting out of the Daily Journal after me. But what if she's not working right now? I hear him shouting in a mock whisper. We won't know if we don't try, Ken. Where are we headed? It's just around the corner. Vocados, Ken pronounces it with a feigned Hispanic accent, completely unaware that the bar and restaurant's name is just a cute and very white abbreviation of avocado. She's a bartender there or a waitress? A bartender. Great. I feel like a drink, not a meal. You'll have to give me a sign when you see her. Like, laugh real loud at all my jokes or something. How will I tell if you're joking? Ken asks, genuinely concerned. At this point, my patience is running too thin to respond. Vocados is, as Ken said, just around the corner from the Daily Journal, so we don't need much more small talk to get there, thankfully. Ukiah sits in a valley, and the hills to the west make the sun set early in the fall. It's dusk and a little chilly already, even at 4.45, or 4.15, or whatever time it is. I push open the door and walk into Vocados just as somebody breaks a fresh rack of billiard balls. I take in the so-so whiskey selection, the dim lighting, and the out-of-order jukebox. Before I can verbalize my judgment, my eyes dart toward the divey recesses of the bar, to the pale and leather-clad quartet in a corner booth, looking back at me from under the low, wide brims of their matching leather bush hats. Oh, shit, I say under my breath. Vampires. Chapter 2 They're not bothering anyone, not actively at least, just sitting there drinking out of the cups they brought from home, waiting for someone to say something or give them a sideways glance so they can start a fight. It's early enough in the night that hopefully I won't be here to witness it. Society's walking that weird line between nothing changing and everything being different. To find anything strange or out of place seems somewhat naive, and at the same time, 
What the fuck is going on? They've always been here. We all grow up knowing they're out there. Vampires have been well-documented throughout time, even if the earlier accounts sound a little far-fetched. They wreaked havoc during the early Middle Ages, almost got normalized during the Inquisition, fell pretty far out of favor during the Renaissance, and have since been a low hum of threat across the globe in modern history. The United States had its worst vampire outbreak in the late 1800s, but a particularly warm, sunny spring helped humanity stave off the immortals and get back on track. The vampires didn't disappear since they're immortal, but they never managed another full-scale assault on the country. Most people these days have never felt like it's a real problem. You hear stories, you know of a guy who knew a guy, you don't travel alone at night. After a few generations of things mostly being fine all the time, you just don't think about the tons of people still getting all the blood sucked out of their bodies. Besides, the vampires who get caught murdering people get prosecuted, and the rest of us frankly don't have many run-ins with our undead neighbors because the sun literally sets them on fire. I'll get a table, you get drinks, okay? I don't want to be here, and Ken does, so I'll make damn sure he pays even if he gets me a terrible drink. I'm also going to take charge of seating so my dumb companion doesn't put my neck too close to a pair of fangs. I'm not about to get killed so Ken can get a reply IRL, and I for damn sure won't turn vamp. It happens occasionally, so I'm told. Once you get bitten, if they don't drain you completely, a vampire can offer you a drink of their blood to complete the transaction. That's what does the turning. When you choose to drink disgusting poison blood... Some people take the drink out of fear of death. Others actually want to turn. Those people are stupid assholes. I only remember a handful of high-profile turnings since I was a kid. A couple of YouTube stars who did it on purpose. A Heisman-winning football player who got hammered one night and woke up a vampire. Elon Musk. In each case, the feds stepped up immediately to get that person in jail, or at least deplatformed. When Senator Granderson got turned in a brothel two weeks ago, it felt like a sort of watershed moment. It had been a while since a vampire attack was in the news, and I had no frame of reference for how this would be handled in the political arena. I sprinted down to the Daily Journal to see if anyone else had claimed the story because I had a feeling it would be big. But it didn't take long for everybody to lose interest. That's where we're at. I've stopped writing my Vampires and Politics piece in favor of a dog show article. Though the Senate has been in session all day discussing what's to be done with Granderson, so the story is back in the forefront of the news cycle. More importantly, I'm in a bar with fucking Ken, looking at four vampires sitting in a corner booth, none of them talking to each other, just mad-dogging everyone who looks over at them. This is what they do try to seem as different and menacing as possible, and then give people shit for treating them like they're different. It's great. I love vampires. They're super fun. Ken comes back with two pints of Hefeweizen, complete with orange slices, because he's just as lame as I thought. No doubt he's read some blog article titled, Beers That Don't Offend the Delicate Female Palate. I can't wait to tell him it tastes like soapy pee. Got us a couple hefts, he says, with an unearned smile. I take a gulp, launching into my line almost before I've swallowed. 
tastes like a mix of soap and piss. I'm a little meaner to Ken than I need to be. I don't really want to be at a bar with him, and the vampires have me on edge, making a mental note to apologize tomorrow. (laughs) The sudden burst of laughter makes me spit up part of my pint of soapy piss. What the fuck, Ken? That was the sign, he whispers to me. Right? For when I see her, I'm, I'm laughing at you? Jesus, yeah, okay. Just keep it down. There's a table of vampires over there. Really? Ken's head swivels like a kid in a candy store, and I stare a hole through the foam at the top of my shitty beer. Oh, they're just living their lives, same as we are. Sure, I reply in my lowest possible voice, right up until we're not living our lives anymore because they bite our throats out. Come on, Clementine, not all vampires are bad. I start to shout at this both-sizing moron, but I'm choking on gross beer again. I'm serious, he continues defensively. I mean, I know they've done some terrible things, but put yourself in their shoes for a mile. It's gotta be awful to be immortal if you think about it. Whatever, Ken. Let's just talk about something else. Instead of taking me up on that perfectly normal offer, Ken laughs like a maniac again causing even more soapy piss to gurgle up the back of my throat and into the depths of my nose. For somebody who hates this beer, I sure am sprinting towards the bottom of the glass, looking for a way out of here. Okay, Ken, that's enough laughing. Which one is she? Mariana. She's over there now. Ken says, swiveling over his right shoulder again and pointing towards the corner booth. I follow the path of Ken's very rudely extended index finger, letting my eyes drift towards the evening's most dangerous corner of avocados. There's a cute girl in her mid-twenties, way out of Ken's league, being professional as shit under the circumstances, pleasantly and patiently checking on the clientele in the corner booth. Ken's precious Mariana scribbles a note down on her pad and walks away, leaving behind a group of four vampires staring directly at me. Chapter 3. The TVs above the bar are rocking CNN, which means someone asked for an update on the vampire senator thing. I know it wasn't the vampires because they'd never be so bold as to make the first move. I'm sure they waited for some other poor schmuck to make the request, and then heckled the shit out of him. Right now, some pundit is punditing, but from the look of it, we'll be hearing a roll call vote of some sort, and the majority leader will say something, and then the vampires will boo and hiss, and this bar will clear out mighty fast. Good way to spend less time with Ken, I suppose. It takes real effort to break eye contact with a vampire. That's not something I knew until just this moment. By the time I pried myself away, one of the vampires held my gaze from under the wide brim of his silly leather hat for a whole minute, or a split second. Maybe it was all night. Now I'm looking back at my glass of piss beer, but the vampire's face, his eyes, are still seared into my brain. There was a subtle motion in the thin red ring around each of the beast's dark irises, a swirling that drew me in for I don't know how long. Fuck, I whisper into my beer. My hand instinctively goes up to my neck. Not to flatter myself, but I consider my neck to be long and slender and attractive. 
I wore a silver chain today that nicely accents my collarbones and perhaps also draws attention to my carotid artery. We're going live to the majority leader's statement, coming in the 10th hour of these hearings at nearly 9 p.m. on the East Coast. I'm not sure if the bartender cranked up the volume on the TV or if the place just got silent watching the stare down between my table and the suckers. Either way, I've never been so happy to hear Don Lemon. Mr. President, Senate colleagues, my fellow Americans, thank you for your patience as we've investigated what will undoubtedly be a historic, precedent-setting decision. You've heard many representatives from both sides of the aisle draw comparisons of this event to proceedings from our country's past. I understand that inclination, but this feels wholly different, and I believe must be treated as such. Listening to Senator Kemp go on and on in this procedural tone is expected and still stupefying. Even as the nine-term senator from Louisiana talks about the fact that a vampire was sitting about four chairs away, he manages the exact same cadence as when he talks about tax cuts and defense spending. I hate Senator Kemp. The rest of this bar is paying close attention as well. I wonder how many of these people only recently became rabid CNNers in the wake of the senator's turning. Sensationalism sells, and that's why we're all fucked. So if I were to propose... Shut up, Ken. Sorry, I just want to hear this, so shut up. Like I said, I'll be nice to Ken at work tomorrow, but not a moment more. The fears voiced in this chamber today are real and understandable. I remind my colleagues that we are not a nation where fear dictates policy. We are governed by laws, not by men, and certainly not by men who listen to fear, or women who are afraid. I fucking hate Kemp so much. In our adherence to the laws laid out so prophetically by our founders, we can all agree that no one is guilty of a crime they have not committed. That would set a dangerous precedent. And so, even as Senator Granderson has admitted to his recent transformation, and that gives us all pause about his future tendencies and habits, he has committed no crime. He is no more guilty of murder or assault than anyone else here at the Capitol, and will be delivering a very un-American miscarriage of justice were we to declare otherwise. What the fuck is happening? For what should be a unanimous decision to expel a vampire from the highest ranks of the United States government, Kemp is saying some weird shit. A look at the smug mugs of the vampires in the corner booth does nothing to quell my concerns. Therefore, in keeping with the truths that we must hold dear... I will not bend to discriminatory instincts. You've got to be fucking kidding me. And I will not serve as biased judge and jury for a man who has committed no punishable offense. Oh, fuck yeah! The vampires are standing now. One of them is applauding. The bar is going to clear out just like I thought but for very different reasons. Senator Granderson stays in his seat with the understanding that the situation will be closely monitored. Session adjourned. 
The vampires are clapping and high-fiving. A few people look their way, but most of us are grabbing coats and heading to settle up the tab. Ken, did you leave your tab open? His sheepish face answers before his squirmy voice gets around to it. I roll my eyes and throw a $5 bill on the table, which doesn't cover the lousy beers, but it's hard to care about that. Everyone slow down, settle down, pay your tabs like normal, stop acting all crazy. The bartender's trying to sound normal, but he's got an eye on the same table the rest of us are watching, and I'd bet the farm he's within reach of a shotgun in case things get weird. I head for the door while Ken mumbles something about getting his card back. If he needs it before morning, that's his problem. I'm not interested in hanging around. Woo, baby! The vampires continue to celebrate. They're up out of the booth now and aimlessly spreading away from the corner. We got a senator now! Their laughter starts again and takes on a new quality. It's an eerie pitch I've never heard before. I look back over my shoulder and see that people at the bar are shifting restlessly, but nobody's really making a move to leave. The urgency somehow got momentarily muted. All of these patrons are obediently waiting to close their tabs, eyes down as receipts slide across the bar top, more worried about seeming rude than about their personal safety. I've got half a mind to do the same, but the impulse not to be near a vampire wins out and I quickly move outside. It's not dark out, but the sun has just gone down below the western hills, so it's dark enough. I pause for a second, wondering if I need to wait for Ken, or if I should just walk a block, get in my car, and go watch the news from the safety of my couch. Before I can make the decision, Ken steps out to join me. It's his fault my night sucks so bad, but I'm still happy to see him escape that creep fest. Hey, are you not going to wait? Ken asks. I still have to close my tab. It's hard to understand why he cares about properly settling up. While I struggle to come up with the warmest way to call him a stupid fuck, the door behind him swings open. I expect to see someone sensible fleeing this dive, but I'm wrong. And my heart jumps into my throat. The pair of red-ringed eyes finds me again as the vampires step out of the bar. I don't know what happened inside, but I suddenly feel like staying in my seat would have been the safer choice. Ken? My voice is just above a whisper, but Ken still hears me, looking away from the creatures behind him and meeting my gaze. I stand there, a few feet from the door, still as a statue, as the red-eyed vampire rips Ken's throat out. Chapter 4. Red Eyes bit first and took most of Ken's throat away. It was hard to tell if Ken survived long enough to witness what was happening to him, but I watched the whole thing. Red Eyes' three friends swooped in to poke more holes in Ken almost immediately. It seemed choreographed. One vampire descended upon each of Ken's wrists, and the third tore at Ken's khakis and found a vein at the top of his thigh. My colleague didn't make a sound, or if he did, it wasn't as loud as the slurping and chewing and tearing of the vampires. I stood and watched for five minutes.
It felt like an hour, so I figure it had to be at least five minutes of standing there and doing nothing. It happened right over there. This morning, walking by, but on the other side of the street, the bloody spot on the ground has already been cleaned up. The sticky red mess would have been easy to see in the daylight, but you wouldn't know a man had been torn apart on the sidewalk last night. The vampires definitely didn't make tidy work of ripping Ken apart and sucking him dry, but now the stretch of sidewalk where it happened is actually cleaner than the other sections of pavement thanks to the effort of scrubbing it away. I can tell it's been cleaned even from halfway down a block. I didn't sleep particularly well last night. I got to bed at a reasonable hour after talking to a cop or two, then stared at the ceiling and replayed the gore in my mind until my thoughts gave way to disturbed dreams about the same thing. And now? Now I'm walking to fucking work because it's Wednesday. I think I'll probably have some pretty severe PTSD in the coming months and years, but right now I'm stumbling through numbness and figure I might as well go to work. Frankly, I want to write a story about this vampire business before people get overwhelmed by news articles and stop caring. If I lived in a bigger city, the newspapers would have front-page stories about what happened last night. Since I don't, people are reading about yesterday morning's news. We're just a touch behind here in Ukiah. Not, like, full time capsule, but we don't quite keep pace with the nation's frontrunners. I stop in at Mama's Cafe for a cup of coffee and a scone that I'm definitely not going to eat. Every time I open my mouth, I think of Kin becoming dinner and my stomach churns. Maybe I'll give my breakfast to someone who's still living one day in the past. That person will not be Mr. Carp, who's well aware of Ken's death but doesn't seem to give a shit. My uncle got turned when I was 22, Carp says when I mention my dead colleague. Then he got staked by the police, so he essentially died twice. It's gruesome business, but it happens. Yeah, it is, and it does, so I want to write about it. He looks up from the piece he's editing and almost seems confused, which I find a little confusing. Even if you act all callous to the existence of vampires, it's still a big fucking deal that a person got murdered. What do you want to write about? Ken? Ken, but also the whole thing with the Senate, I say. The fact that these murders kind of got a green light? Jesus, Clem, no one's giving murders a green light. Well, they sure got excited about the ruling and then did some fucking murdering. And then they got caught. Carp fires back. Cops got all four of those guys within a couple hours, so don't walk around acting like we've legalized executions. His point, while bad, is true. The cops did a fine job tracking down Ken's killers, though it makes me think they didn't try very hard to avoid arrest. I mean, vampires hide pretty well when they want to be hidden. Yeah, they got caught, and now they're in jail waiting for a lawyer and probably turning other inmates. Vampires in jail isn't a solution to a vampire problem. Carp stares at me for a long beat, either because he knows I've won the fight or he's too annoyed to keep going. Either way, I won the fight. You've got a dog show article to write, he says as he goes back to his papers. I'm not signing off on vampire drivel when we've already got Ken plugged into the obituaries and every national outlet will be screaming about the Senate bullshit and taking up all the oxygen. Small town newspapers are great. 
unless they're run by jerks, in which case they're terrible. Under current ownership, the UDJ sucks butt. The dog article is done. Since when? Since yesterday, Bert. You were giving me shit about doing it right before Ken and I left for... Ken's chewed open inner thigh flashes in my head. There's five paragraphs packed with shit no one cares about ready for your eyes. Feel free to make changes as you see fit. Carp doesn't respond as I leave. The only benefit of working for a shitty small town paper is that he's got zero other options for writers. And he knows the dog article is 99% about the picture and 1% words. I've got my phone to my ear as I step outside. Did you know him? Jill's my old college roommate from TCU. She went to D.C. to work in politics, and I chased a boyfriend in Northern California. Still my closest friend by a long shot, even though we haven't seen each other in more than five years. Yeah, I was standing right fucking next to him when it happened. No, really? I hear her shuffling around, probably moving out of an office so she can have this conversation more privately. Jesus, Clem, you okay? No, Jill, I'm not. I feel the need to shout for like 10 straight minutes, and I know Jill would let me. I mean, I'm fine. It's just, you know. Yeah, I know. Listen, what's happening with Granderson? I ask, not wanting to get into the whole Ken thing. He's really keeping his seat? He is. How close were you standing to him when it happened, Jill? There's a pause on her end. Clem, is this on the record? I feel a little bad that she caught me so quickly, but then again, I'm new to being a serious journalist. I wasn't even sure what I was doing myself, but Jill was, and it made it weird. I guess it is. Maybe on the record. Yeah. Well then... On the record, I have to tell you the Office of Representative Kilby is dedicated to the 9th District of Michigan, but we will all be happy to discuss anything we can to continue a productive relationship with our colleagues from Northern California. After she delivers the company line, her tone shifts. Are you definitely writing about this, Clem? I've steered myself back to the corner down the street from Vocados. It's open for business again. Through the front windows, I can see they've already got a few people bellied up to the bar. I hope Ken was dead before he hit the ground. But as much as I thought about it last night, I can't imagine that he was. Yeah, I am. Good, Jill blurts out with half a chuckle. Because off the record, this whole thing is fucked up. And that is chapters one through four of Oh Shit Vampires. Sorry that uh, it got so gory in there. We forgot to give any sort of warning. Yeah, a lot of happen. lot of biting throats and, and blood stains. And, uh, you know, I mean, you can't write a thing about vampires without throat rips and some gore. Yeah, some I feel viscera. like... I feel like we called it oh shit vampires and and so <laughs> if that if you found the blood to be unsettling that's fine but right. it's not our fault. No, you should have seen it coming frankly. Um Yeah. So yeah, I mean that was again the goal with with chapter we set up Clem our our main character 
small town journalist wants to to do something uh, you know important uh, and meaningful, impactful, and then setting up some of the uh, some of the world around her and trying to set up our protagonist as like, hey, this problem seems fairly obvious to me. And then watching other people, even if they aren't like actively disagreeing and on the other side of it, just dancing around like with her boss and, and uh, yeah. people just kind of not not caring as much as perhaps we all should. Right. And, and, and trying to keep to keep it in the satirically kind of funny realm. Right. Wanting to to keep jokes alive. Right. Um, right in between throats coming out. And then we got to come to, which no one has heard yet, uh, the the most fun part. I think we're allowed to talk about this before next week. Can we talk about the singular line that we left for our next writer? I think we should. Because we wrapped it all up. We, we sort of set, set Clem with a little bit of a path. And then for the next author, who at that point I, we hadn't established, I don't believe, um, we left one sentence uh go ahead clint why don't you read it for us instead of a go bag i keep two oversized rain boots full of quarters and batteries in the trunk of my car <laughs> which so, is, still makes me good and then we just shipped it off then we just shipped yeah. it off to the author that will be uh will be sitting with us and you can all listen to next week yes our dear dear old friend and colleague michael truly uh was kind enough to be the first one to to write uh a new chapter and the first one to join us uh here on the podcast um we'll talk to him about what he thought about a go bag full of rain boots and quarters and batteries um which that that's a great example there are two kinds of of first lines that people left like the first kind was literally nothing like <laughs> Here's a, here is this technically this is a sentence, but it's literally nothing. Uh-huh. Uh, or uh, instead of a go bag, I keep two oversized rain boots full of quarters and batteries in the trunk of my car. And that has nothing to do with the chapter that came before it or anything that we had planned. Nope. Or uh, it came after it. That was a, a gift slash flaming bag of poop yeah. left for Michael truly. And, uh, and, then he got to do with it what he did with it. Yeah. So uh, that episode will be up next week. So I hope uh, you enjoyed the first four chapters of Ocean Vampires enough to come back for chapter five and Michael truly uh, reading his chapter. Um, so we will listen to him uh, to his uh, chapter uh, in audiobook format. We will talk to him about the process of writing it, um, about all of the, the bananas stuff that he did to the story right out of the gate. Right out um, of the gate. So many things that I never would have thought to do immediately with this story. Uh, he was just like casually doing all of them. So <laughs> come back for that next week. Um, come back for more Oh Shit Vampires, the exquisite corpse novella and podcast. Every choice you make it kind of feels like it's on quicksand where like you're not entirely sure uh, what's what's come before. I, I mean, that's the exercise. You turned this entire book into a road trip story, which was never, never an intention that we had. Every vampire movie, book series, saga, anything, 
unabashedly just kind of makes up their own rules. I was just skimming through and then I did a control F and I was like, wait a minute, I'm the last person to mention Jill. <laughs> yeah, it's pros and quotes uh, where essentially it's like, well, how do I do this without falling on my face? Um, I'll just write a monologue. I enjoyed your chapter so much that it took me uh, weeks to realize you had duped us. Was your your intent that Clem, our main character, is legitimately some sort of like prophesied savior? I mean, there were all sorts of options for things to happen, but it didn't really have anything specific. So I was like, you know, I'm going to get female with it. <laughs>